Meditations with Ryan Slomack. Hello, listeners, old and new. Welcome to Meditations with Ryan Slomack. This is episode four. And in today's episode, I'm making space to have conversation with Jamie Santos. Jamie is the owner of Three of Swords Tattoos and has been tattooing for a very, very long time around Syracuse, New York, in Bangor, Maine, and as a traveling tattoo artist all over the world. But to think of her as just a tattoo artist is belittling to her accomplishments. I like to think of her as an arts activist and as an arts facilitator who uses her passions to help build the community around us. She is involved in the Cathedral Collective, the Deck the Halls Art Show, and the May Mayhem Art Hunt, all of which we'll talk about in today's show. This conversation is one I'm very proud of because Jamie does a great job of talking about the importance of passion, talking about the importance of heart, and talking about the importance of just putting things out there. We often say that art is never finished, it's just abandoned, and I think she is a living and breathing example of that. So I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Here's Jamie Santos. We've known each other a long time, and we were just kind of talking about the fact that like your tattoo, your tattoo career alone is like an adult. It's had 18 years. It is. It is 18 years old. It can legally join the military. <laughs> I hope it, you know, thinks about that choice before it just uh, <laughs> signs up. But one of the things I wanted to kind of kick off with was, uh, you know, I've had the privilege of knowing you before you were a tattoo artist and as you were sort of like developing as an artist. And I'm curious about like, when did you catch the art bug? When did that become a part of, of you? I mean, I think I've been, I was definitely encouraged to be an artist since um, I was little. Uh, my grandfather, he was an artist. He did like oilscapes of uh, the ocean. My grandmother was an artist. She did a lot of needlepoint, but she also painted. Um, my mom was an oil painter. She did like really good, like realistic oil painting, a lot of uh, enamel work. Um, so I feel like I was kind of, um, I had a, I, you know, people always say that you have talent, you know, and like you just have it. And I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. It's the time you put into it. So I've been putting time into it since I was like five and encouraged to do it from everyone around me since I was that young. Um, so yeah, it's the, it's more time. It's more effort. And I did it through high school. I did the whole scholastic art award thing and all that. And yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So as you were, you know, you're starting off as a five-year-old, you're, you're drawing in sketchbooks or painting on things. And I, when did you start to see your own style start to start to evolve? When did you start to figure out that oh. this is the Jamie <laughs> look? And even just early, early accounts of that. I, I mean, I don't think I developed any type of style until like my mid twenties. Like, I feel like it took that long. Um, you know, when you're like a kid, you're trying to hone everyone else's style. You know, you're trying to like replicate something you've seen that you think is really cool. You're trying to draw anime. You know, I was drawing Inuyasha and like princesses, <laughs> like all types of stuff like that. Um, and then like I did more figure drawing and then still lives and like sort of general practice from like I'd say high school up through college. And then I don't think I really developed any type of style until I started tattooing. But like that also took years because you're still learning. In your first couple of years tattooing, you're still like 
you know, trying to cut your teeth, you're still trying to figure out what you're doing. Um, so it's hard to develop a style until like you really have like a good head on your shoulders. And that took me a long, a long time, I'd say. I'm thinking I'm just envisioning like a, a flip book of all of your like first 10 years of tattoos, just like seeing that style slowly evolve. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> My first couple of years tattooing. Um, I still have all those drawings. I kept everything. So I have them in a folder so I can see my progression of how, where I came from to like where I am now. And I feel like you should always try to get better. But if you <laughs> look back on my old stuff, it's so rough. It's like, what was I doing? I thought it was cool. <laughs> well, let's, I want to, I want to keep us back in the sort of like pre-high school years for a moment. Uh, when, when is the first time that you noticed that your art, um, could either have serve a function or a purpose, communicate something, or um, could provide value to somebody else? Um, I'd say it was definitely high school. Um, Ms. Hafar and Mr. Ned Whiskey. Mr. Ned. Do you remember Mr. Ned? I do remember Mr. Ned. <laughs> I love Mr. Ned. Um, I mean, he still has a studio. and I have, I have one of his paintings now. I had to pry it out of his hands, but I have it. But yeah, it was definitely high school. You know, I saw that it was making a mental impact on people around me. And I was like, that's weird. Um, but I thought, uh, I, I don't know, art can be really powerful in a way. And like, even though I was doing a lot of still lifes, I was doing some still lifes that were meaningful in my head. I didn't ever tell anyone the meaning behind any of them. But, um, you know, people like when, when you put meaning into your artwork, I feel like even if you tell someone or not, someone will get the hint that there's something more to it. And I guess high school was that time that that happened. Well, it's fun. So I'm going to, uh, so for our, our listeners who are not local, um, yeah. Jamie and I graduated from Fidville Manlius High School, which is a suburban high school, uh, very well-funded art program. We were beyond lucky to to go to a place where um, as you walked through the hallways, uh, architecture and space was devoted to the arts um, and to showcasing student art. Yeah, it was it was a beautiful space. Um, and we had these amazing supportive art teachers, but we also had a really amazing supportive group of, of friends and community members that were always sort of working. And one of the things that I did in preparation for this interview, Jamie, is I reached out to our friend Allison and <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I did. And I got uh, I got a few anecdotes from her. And I wanted to read this because I think it's a really okay. interesting glimpse into, uh, I don't know, the the seed that was planted early on in you that eventually turned into, uh, you know, the world renowned Jamie Santos. All right. So, so, <laughs> Allison says, my first memories of Jamie's art involves ninth grade math class. She was kind of punk and goth <laughs> at the same time and dressed in funny, a funny little shirt, long baggy shorts and tall striped socks. Sometime after the first day, I noticed she was working on something at her desk and I peeked over her shoulder to see what it was. To my surprise, it was a drawing of our math teacher as a pig. This teacher <laughs> loved Ms. Piggy. <laughs> Oh, that was a horrible math class. <laughs> well, allow me to continue. I made that teacher retire, but yeah, go ahead. So it says it was hilarious and accurate. So I knew we would end up as friends. Neither Jamie or I, uh, neither Jamie nor I enjoyed that class. So you and Allison were on the same page with that. Yeah. Uh, to make it more enjoyable throughout class, she'd leave little offerings of art on mine and other classmates' desks. Uh, these weren't the best of Jamie's work, but highlighted how she used her art to connect with others and express herself. I started noticing Jamie's art in display cases at school. She was always in the art room working on something 
Uh, and if she wasn't in there, you'd usually find her in a sketch pad drawing something. I feel like if they asked anyone from our class what they remembered about her, it would be her art. Her drawings were even featured on the cover of one of our school's dance marathon packets. Back Ooh, in dance marathon! <laughs> My God, I forgot all of this. Oh, it was great. And here's my favorite part. It says, back in those days, she was pretty shy, but her art had a lot to say. And I think yeah. that like, that's such a, it's such an interesting perspective because, um, you know, now as an, as I'm an educator, I often find that like students to your point, like everyone always says like, you have talent, you have talent, you have talent. And like helping students find places to apply that talent is far more difficult than helping them grow as creators. Yeah. Uh, and I just think that's kind of interesting. Uh, do you have any other, any, what, what's your perspective on that? What's your, what's your response? <laughs> well, we had a, we had a crazy time in that math class. The uh, teacher, I, she was on, she was older. Um, I watched her throw a couple desks. <laughs> Pretty sure they made her retire after that. But um, yeah, no, like, so my, my verbal skills weren't super great in high school. You know, I, I came across as super shy. I had a lot to say, but I wasn't good at talking. Um, so I definitely used my art to express myself and become a person, you know? Um, I think that's why I found such value in it for other people, you know, like really if a kid's trying to express themselves, they're trying to bud, they're having trouble, you know, I think art is a really good venue to um, help someone express themselves and they can't otherwise or feel like they have value or like grow themselves. Um, and I definitely got that from that too, you know. Um, it gave me a pathway, it gave me purpose, um, kind of kept me out of trouble <laughs> for the most part until college. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's funny because Allison, like, she talks about high school and she has such a better memory of it than I do. So all these things she mentioned, especially Dance Dance Marathon, I totally forgot about that. It was a good time. <laughs> it was. So uh, Dance Marathon uh, was a 12-hour uh well, dance marathon uh, mm. that was designed to raise money for camp goodies and special times, a, a camp that I have a, a very strong connection to. Um, yeah. But it also was a it takes a village kind of project where like all the different it was probably one of the few times that I would see like complete unity in our school where all mm -hmm. of these different people from all these different walks of life would come together to make this one event to raise like six figures like it was a, it was a significant yeah. amount of money um yep. but but the thing that i thought was interesting was she had sent me the because of course allison has everything too she sent me the cover of the the dance marathon packet which i had uh, i had forgotten it's kind of a i don't know an interesting uh almost like the pose is almost like a spider-man pose of like a punk yeah. girl with like headphones uh, on yeah and there's little kind of self-portrait <laughs> a little bit <laughs> absolutely and there's little kind of like cartoony characters that are that are like around your little self-portrait and then she sent me another little sketch of of these sort of cartoons but i'm curious about like uh you start off as as an artist sort of figuring things out and you're you're kind of emulating disney princesses and, and cartoons and and all these sort of different things and then eventually you find your way into this i think you use the term like traditional or neo-traditional tattoo style which yep. as 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 you walk around the city of syracuse uh you can see people have your art on their bodies or you can see you know silkscreen prints of your art places or you go to I know Strong Hearts was selling a t-shirt that you designed. And as soon as you like see these things, you recognize them as as the the Jamie Santos style. Um yeah. what what brought you into that um 
style and and what and sort of I don't want to say comfort zone, but like uh, routine appro- approach to your art making, moving it out from away from cartoony to yeah. this new traditional. Um, I mean, I think it's trying to hone that style, but also put a little bit of my own flavor on it. You know, because like uh, I think as any artist, they sort of try to take from um, different influences like throughout their life. So I love Victorian. You know, I like neo-traditional. I like illustrations. So a lot of times you'll see like all of those styles sort of put into like all the the tattooing I do. But it's true. Like, but I I have like a harder time. um, Like if you go to the fair and you're walking around like, you know, I've been tattooing for 18 years. So um, I'll try to eyeball (laughs) and like I'll see someone's tattoo. And I'm like, did that? I do that one. Is that one? Is that one? My it looks kind of like my style. (laughs) Can I do it? But I'll have other people tell me that they can recognize, you know, my style of tattooing, like, you know, from a stranger. They'll just like know it because I've been tattooing in this area forever. It's it's amazing. I the other thing I'm curious about too is that like uh in 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 high school you discover the punk and hardcore scene. Uh <laughs> you know, the music scene, you're you're going to shows. We had this amazing, I mean, it's still there, the Westcott Community Center. Love that, yeah. love that space. Um and you've been going to shows there. How did being involved in that community, uh, you know, alter your perspective of, of what tattooing was and, and how you wanted to use your art? Yeah, I mean, I was definitely not as involved as somewhere, you know, because I, I was sort of um, a little antisocial. But like, honestly, like when I went to shows, it was mostly with Allison um, or it was with Mary or it was with Julie, you know. So I think we saw Reggie in the full effect at some point and like it was cool. And then there was um, Earth Crisis were super big at the time. So I got to go to a couple of those shows. I wasn't always allowed to go downtown, but when I was able to like join up and I was able to kind of get exposure to like alternative culture in Syracuse, like I was it, it felt good. You know, it felt um I felt like there was a different kind of alternative society that existed um, that I wanted to be part of and that like I enjoyed more than um, I don't want to say like I guess conventional living Um, you know like even especially back then like the hardcore scene I feel like was its own subculture you know, so I guess being introduced to that subculture let me see that there are other subcultures that weren't just like a, you know, traditional sort of like style of living, I guess. Um, and tattooing is like a subculture within a subculture within a subculture. Like there's, it's uh, multi-layered. So yeah, I guess it was cool to get the flavor of Westcott and the flavor of Armory Square and um Oh, I'm trying to think. Uh, Happy Endings, I believe, was around at the time. We used to do, um, I go to like uh, those old poetry readings that were there. And like, so it was just like, it was a lot. It was a a flair of culture within Syracuse that was kind of like not as culturally active as it is now. You know, throughout my lifetime, I've seen it sort of expand. But back then, it was just little pockets of you know, little alternative culture here and there. And it was great. Yeah. So if, for those who are unfamiliar with the sort of landscape of Syracuse, uh, we were really lucky to grow up in a time where uh, 
there was, I don't know, inc almost incubation periods for all of these different areas of the city. So Three of Swords Tattoo, the the tattoo shop that Jamie owns is in the Westcott area, which is the, um, curious to hear how you describe it. I always think of it as kind of like the the granola hipster <laughs> uh, outer university area. Um, yeah. It's like Wait. a mini Portland, you know, when they say uh, keep Portland weird, like I always felt keep Westcott weird and Westcott's always been weird and nuanced and cute. I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think one of the things that's really cool about the Westcott area is it's, you know, usually those areas in, in certain parts of the city are reserved for the 20 somethings. And in Westcott, you really do see people contributing to culture uh in there you know as kids and as you know retirees like through that entire expansion you see that the armory square area is kind of uh historically has been like the downtown kind of club scene area uh that's sort of higher end restaurants uh things like that and happy endings was an amazing cafe that uh was there for a long time and then we have the sort of other landscapes of the city where there's just little pockets of uh you know the italian north north side is the italian uh section and things like that but yeah it's been cool seeing the way in which you have have helped in those expansions of the art communities within, you know, outside of it. Because I, I always viewed you as somebody who, like, when you're growing up, like, the Westcott community was, like, the community where, like, you were comfortable putting your art out. And now we go around the city and there's, uh, you know, there's murals that you were a part of. And there's the, you know, the West Side where the gear factory is is there because of a lot of the you know art contributions you have like it's been interesting to see you sort of expand throughout the city over your career yeah I, I think I'm just a small part of that you know like I've definitely um I I will take credit for having like definitely some influence on um I feel like if you create things and you put it in the world and you're doing shows and people are going to shows and things like you definitely are going to have an influence on the thing around you so um, you can be a spark just by um, putting something together, <laughs> you know. I love it. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a pause on that part because we're gonna we're gonna spend some time on it later. But I'm curious about your sure. tattooing career. What in your in other interviews you do, you always say that you went into tattooing to avoid being a graphic designer. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that that was a trap, um, and that was college. You know, like I was going to college for art and I was doing science at the same time and I was kind of in between like doing one or the other for a minute and um you know like they were trying to push everyone into graphic design and I'm like oh is every college doing this <laughs> and and they were um so it became like uh, there were too many graphic designers out there it became heavily competitive and like I don't know like I love college I love learning. Um, I went back to college also several times, but it's definitely not the teachers, but the higher ups. It's definitely a little bit of a grift, you know, they're, they're trying to get you to spend money in this promise of really uh, doing something, but um, not always a whole lot of direction. So I didn't want to be a starving artist for my, all of my twenties. <laughs> Um, and I'd always had a, a love for tattooing, you know, I'd been buying like old uh, tattoo magazines and I've been like trying to emulate tattooing too, like when I was in like high school. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I dropped out of college and I started an apprenticeship. <laughs> and was that apprenticeship at Diversified Inc. in Bangor? Or it was, was that... no, I no. was uh, I was at an unnamed 
shop before then that I will not know that I will not name the name of. It was horrible. It was a horrible experience. Um, and I got out of there after about two years and I went up to Bangor and I was up there for like two or three years. So yeah, that was diversified ink after that. It was good. Yeah. What's it like being a, a tattoo apprentice? I think it's one of those things where like whenever you hear people talk about it, it's always like they're really hard to find. And that's the extent <laughs> of the narrative. Like tell us what it's like to, to be a learner in that environment. It's really easy to find a bad tattoo apprenticeship super easy to find a horrible situation to put yourself in and it's really hard to find a good situation to be in but over time like that's also morphed um like the stories i heard from people being tattoo apprentices like even 10 years before that in the 1990s were far more gritty um you know in, until like the time here you know like 2023 um I feel like there's less abusive tattoo apprenticeships <laughs> um but yeah you just got to be really careful about like what you're you're looking for if you are paying someone you know to teach you like you have to be like make sure they're actually teaching you and you're not just like giving someone money for nothing because I've, I've heard stories about that too but um yeah, it's a hard thing to get into for sure. There's a lot of gatekeeping um, with reason, without reason, you know, like I feel like you have to accept new styles of art into like the world of tattooing. It can't always be traditional all the time, you know, um, while also like upholding a standard of integrity, you know, so you have to find someone who's going to be able to take on both of those concepts um yeah it's it's a thing it's a whole process and everyone's different with it yeah what were the valuable lessons that you took away from your apprenticeship um well the first apprenticeship not not good I don't know if I took much away from that except like a foot in the door um sometimes you learn what not to do when you're in <laughs> a space right I was um I was apprenticing with uh Jamola, who now owns Resurrected Tattoo. And so he we apprenticed under the original same guy. And um, I told, I was talking to Jamola at one point. I'm like, I feel like I had to unlearn all of the things that that guy told me. And then, um, you know, when I, I moved up to Maine, I was tattooing under a student named Fast Eddie. And uh, I feel like he taught me about machine tuning. He taught me about like actually doing smooth lines. He, he gave me the whole plethora of knowledge that, um, you know, I wasn't getting, you know, like he taught me about mags, taught me more about needle groupings, about consistency, um, about business, you know, like he was a good business dude. So it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely that. Um, and then also, like, at that time, especially, there was a whole world of tattooing that um, <laughs> it was definitely more party oriented. So not only did you have to know all these technical things, be an artist, but you also had to know how to um, just like hang out. <laughs> you know, you had to be an entertainer also. <laughs> And if my mentor, Ed, was anything, he was he was an entertainer, he had a big boisterous personality. So, um, yeah, you have to be like everything. It's fun. That's, 
That's fair. And when you say you have to be an entertainer, are you referring to for your colleagues, for your clients, for your brand? <laughs> all of it. <laughs> all of it. You know, um, for your clients, you know, if you're if you're getting a tattoo, like it's you, some people prefer it and not kind of feel people out. Some people prefer like just kind of sitting there and taking it. Um, but like a lot of times people like exchanging stories, you know, some of the coolest things about tattooing is like getting to know people that you wouldn't get to know otherwise, you know, so, um, and some people have some wild stories and everyone has a different life path. So you kind of get a small sampling of humanity, like when you're tattooing. And for me, that really kind of brought me out of my shell is having to socialize with people and, um, entertain them and talk to them. Like, while well, you're essentially torturing them for money, <laughs> you know, because that's what it is. They're asking for it. It's a cosmetic thing, but, um, you know, it, it makes it makes their experience better. It makes your experience better, too, most of the time. Um, and then, like, if you're in an open studio, you're also talking to your colleagues, and it becomes, like, a whole back and forth. It's uh, It can be really fun. It's really beautiful at times, you know? That's awesome. So I'm glad you brought up the open studio thing. So you've, you know, uh, Syracuse is known for having really high quality tattoo studios, right? Like we've got yeah. a number of them in this town uh, that people, just as they travel to come and get tat tattooed by you, they they travel for all these other artists and they have for for decades. It's, it's yeah. actually kind of a fascinating little case study in the culture of tattoo. Um, but in regards to, you know, so you worked for Diversified, uh, you worked for Scarab Body Arts, uh, mm -hmm. You uh, you were at Timeless Tattoo, and now you've opened Three of Sword, where you have complete control over that environment, right? Like this yeah. is this is your baby, and I'm curious about how, as you've been to all these different places and you've traveled to different uh, tattoo shops to uh, to be a guest tattooer for a little while, what were the what were the elements that you wanted to bring into Three of Sword to make sure that it was sort of like your ideal tattoo culture? Um, you know that's a you know, what did I want? So like, I wanted a business that I think that I would feel the most comfortable in, you know, so I've definitely tried to make it um, more female friendly, for sure, you know, um, or more LGBTQ plus friendly or more BIPOC friendly. And not to say that other studios aren't but um, I definitely wanted to make sure that that vibe, you know, was felt at Three of Swords. Um, that was pretty important to me. Um, and, like, I didn't really want to be a boss. <laughs> that was just something, like, owning a business you have to do. <laughs> and um, I, I, I talked to, like, a lot of people before I opened Three of Swords, like, kind of trying to get, like, business advice from other business owners and, like, you know, no matter what you try to do, um, you know, like you'll bring your own set of issues. There'll be their own set of problems. So like the ones I tried to avoid, I tried my best. And, uh, you know, you try to figure out business owning as you're going along. It's like a whole thing. Um, but yeah, for the most part, like I think um, I'm definitely more comfortable tattooing the space now than I ever have been even just from starting the business um I think I definitely had a pretty big learning curve when I um first opened it up but uh I've been working for other people for you know most of my career so 15 years um 
So, and I, I don't know my, one of my old boss, uh, Kyle from timeless, I had talked to him. He's like, uh, you know, like when you're kind of, um, you're like, ah, see how it is kind of thing. And I'm like, I knew it was going to be hard. <laughs> like I knew it. And, uh, I think I get that more than anything, but, um, you know, like I'm definitely enjoying the more, the atmosphere more than I ever have for sure. That's awesome. And like, what, what is it about that atmosphere? I mean, I think when I think of you, I think about just like all of your art and all of your initiatives are so welcoming just in, in general. So no matter what you did, it was going to have that, that, that vibe, but what, uh, what in the space physically or, or the way in which people are set up or the art you hang on the walls, what are the sort of thoughts that you put into the space uh, to, to build that culture? I mean, I definitely try my best and I feel like, I feel like majority of people feel um, welcome. I don't know. I try to be like as cheery as possible. Um, man, what makes us welcoming? Um, I don't I'll, know. I'll give you an example <laughs> is that you guys have chosen an open concept, right? Instead yeah, yeah. of, instead of, uh, you know, having cubicles or any sort of space like that. Oh like... yeah. Everyone can talk to each other. That's fun. That's fun. Like, I like that. I, I was in a private, um, little space sort of tucked away um especially at scarab for like seven years and like that was comfortable for a bit but it was also very isolating so the the ability to sort of like you know everyone work off each other's energy like i feel like that definitely um that feels great and uh i don't know i guess i play dj a lot like at the studio i'm trying to feel the vibe out for the room and put out a different music that's going to like either up that vibe or mellow everyone out um i don't know we have we have the spongebob whole theme song and like everyone seemed like i didn't know that everyone was so into like not only spongebob this <laughs> spongebob like theme songs throughout the show and i think i had like on like uh i don't know probably like death metal on or something before then and then like I've turned Spongebob on and the whole room just erupted and like, oh my God, Spongebob's on. Like, and that was, that was so cool because everyone's just started singing the songs and bopping along with it. And um, yeah, I know. I like that kind of, that energy, like camaraderie, um, you know, like that felt fun. <laughs> well, and, uh, you know, Tom Kenny, uh, the voice of Spongebob is from Syracuse. <laughs> so we've got that connection. Yeah, actually, uh, Christiana, who um, I've been working with for, for three years now, was great. And we went to see Tom Kenny, and Bobcat Goldfrey was there. It was great. I was, yeah. at that, I was at that show. Were you? Yeah, it was <laughs> fun. It was crazy packed. Yeah. Uh, so for those who, who don't know, Tom Kenny um, has a like a club band that he he goes and he plays big band songs at with this huge uh huge group tom kenny in the high seas so if you really want to see spongebob uh in a whole new light check them out on on youtube it was perfect his background dancers had like sequins like gowns and like they're like in yeah it was a whole thing <laughs> That's awesome. And then also, so I uh, also just thinking about the culture, I uh, I'm, I'm really interested in the way in which you curate, maybe that's the wrong word, but the artists that you, you have in the space, um, you know, you've got, you've got artists who are doing a little bit of everything. You've got your traditional, neo-traditional, you've got other artists who are doing more like very colorful sort of like anime tattoos. How do yeah. you uh, decide who is going to be in that space and, and what offerings you want to have? 
Um, I feel like it's less about style wise of people that are coming in. Like, so like, um, there's Christiana who specializes in like Hawaiian anime, um, really good anime tattooer. Um, and then Ren, who's doing like like simplistic black work and um, kind of a newer tattooer, so sort of cutting their teeth like with that. And then myself, like who I'm hard to describe yourself, but like it's new trend, but um, I do color work, I do black work. Um, I love both of those things. But like when we have guest artists in, um, it's people that we know, you know, or it's people who I feel... Um, have had like a connection to the shop people we reached out to that like want to do some tattooing but like also want to like maybe hang out after hours get a drink maybe they're just trying to travel so I feel like it's less about style and um more about not only like kind of everyone kind of meeting each other and um jiving off of each other but um also like bringing a little bit more of that to Syracuse you know like when like so Joe from Parasol he was um he was in last week and he does like specifically like black work you know and there's only one other artist um in Syracuse that does that Nick Moore and I've been friends with Nick for years so like when when Joe came up like, I've been telling them about each other a little bit, or at least I've been telling Joe about Nick. And uh, they kind of came together, and it was this weird sort of, like, bonding moment between artists. It was incredible. They were almost the same person. <laughs> it was neat. So, um, I don't know. I think that's more of, like, an ebb and flow, you know, like, especially because I'm a little bit more established now. Um you know, if people are asking to guest, then uh, kind of just, you know, see how they are, meet a new person, have a new style of tattooing come into the studio. Since, like I said in our previous thing, since I'm not traveling a lot right now, um, one of the cool things about traveling to another studio is getting a feel for like a totally new environment. And um, since I'm not traveling, that environment kind of gets put into the studio from like a different perspective, a different flavor of art. So I guess it's the meshing of the ideas. I don't know. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I think the that's a really nice uh, just moment to capture because I think that like a lot of people consider tattoo shops as being these like stagnant things. Like, okay. Yeah. Uh, I always think about like, the sort of 1980s early 90s perspective of tattoos earlier than that where it's like you know the rough and the rough and tough people go and hang out with the other rough and tough people and they they sit there and they harm each other for money um <laughs> and uh you know the the whole culture of of tattooing has just shifted so dramatically in the last couple decades where it's no it's no longer just associated with alt culture it's now you know more of a mainstay um yeah but the ability to create a space where you're a revolving door for new ideas, I just think is a, a brilliant way to run your studio. Yeah, I guess I've never really like put a lot of thought into that, but I guess it kind of is. <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> but yeah, we don't, like, uh, I don't know, we do always have new stuff going on. Like we're doing a little, um, 
we call it the great Korok quest. So if you play Zelda, there's a little creature called Korok that we've been hiding within the Westcott neighborhood and like just for funsies. And there's going to be a secret surprise coming. Um, if you know anything about Zelda, you'll probably know what the prize is, which is hilarious in itself. Um, but yeah, no, I guess it is like a sort of revolving thing of ideas and culture and art coming through. Um, maybe that's how I've done stuff for years. I don't know. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> what am I? <laughs> I'm if 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 my my like how do I say this my highlight from 2023 is having a moment of enlightenment with Jamie Santos. <laughs> so the uh, you know I think that's really interesting with the Korok thing. Like, uh, you have also people primarily know you as a tattoo artist. I think, yeah, and especially people from out of town. You know, they find you on Instagram or you're you know you're you're at Shaman's Den in Binghamton or you're you're wherever tattooing, and people know you for that. But in Syracuse, I often think that your your work in community arts initiatives uh is the stuff that deserves more of the visibility um because you do such a good job with all those things so you created the you know the cathedral collective uh which we'll talk about in a little bit and the black masquerade and the deck the halls art show um all these different things what what got you excited about public arts initiatives? Um, and what were your sort of maybe maybe they weren't goals, but what did you want to do with them when you you first started your your tattoo career to break out of just the tattooing space, but start to do things in the city? Um, well, so Zek the Halls was like one of the first ones I ever did. That was in 2014. And can you describe Deck the Halls for people who don't know what it is? So Deck the Halls, basically, and it's when this gallery called Salt Quarters was a thing. It was like a little residency place, like right down the way from the Delavan Center. Um, so basically, it was an art show with skateboards. So it was tattoo artist. It was graffiti artist. It was um, little lowbrow artist. It was like some like talented artists from around Syracuse and then I paired it with uh, a couple bands one of which was Feast of the Superb Owl um, and that was is really fun uh, we had that run for about a week or so and I had other musical acts coming in well um, yeah that was that was that and I I guess I started doing it for I don't, there wasn't really a lot of art going on that was for the public that I thought was um, had a lot of pizzazz, you know, to it. Like I had seen like other bigger like cities do these really cool art shows, you know, um, like Arch Enemy or like, you know, like all these all these really cool galleries that were doing like this sort of niche art, you know, and niche for Syracuse. And like, I know that we have massive amount of talent here. Like, why weren't we doing anything, <laughs> you know? So I wanted to really put that in the forefront and like really try to like light a fire to um, make that be more of a thing, you know, like make that like, um, like, Hey, like, let's have cool art stuff here like why don't we you know we all live in this city everyone was outsourcing to other cities to like have their stuff exposed um i wanted to be that to be like a a thing that um people valued and went to and experienced and knew that they could in syracuse um Pro public arts task force they were doing some stuff too 
Um, the Gear Factory was starting to do some shows. They've been doing that Revolution show for quite a bit. But, like, the galleries, like Syracuse said, I believe pulled out of their um, one gallery they had in Armory Square. And eventually they pulled out of Salt Quarters, too. But and You're referring to Syracuse University. Yeah, they had put some money into downtown and to Salt Quarters for a while, as to my knowledge. And then, like, that sort of evaporated over time. So um, besides Spark, there wasn't really a lot of stuff to, like, do anything with. So... Yeah, I was frustrated. I was a little bit angry. Like I wanted to make something cool happen and I did. And I did it. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think the the thing that's really interesting too is so, you know, for Deck the Halls, you've you were at a variety of different venues. You're at Salt Quarters, uh, the Gear Factory, which is a a gallery and a studio rental space. Um, yep. you know, around here. You did stuff with the Delavan Center, you did Beer Belly, you did Deviate Dance, right? Like there's <laughs> all these different venues where uh, artists take skateboards, do whatever they want with them, hang them up. And then uh, you also made them charity events, if I recall. Like all yeah. the resources went to to benefit our local community. Um, at first, it definitely wasn't, you know, because I didn't really know where to take it when I first did it. And I didn't know if it was going to be a success. But like the first show we did, like really popped off and it ended up being in the news. Um, I think Spectrum did a thing on it and it was in the paper and I did a couple of interviews about it. I didn't realize that that energy was really going to pop off like I did. You know, I definitely hit a nerve um, with a lot of people in a good and bad way. And uh, like it just kind of took off from there. So when I thought I was able I did the show at Beer Belly and then we did it at the Gear Factory and we raised a lot of supplies for underprivileged schools, like a lot of Sy Syracuse school district schools that like didn't have art supplies <laughs> at all. You know, I went into, um, I think it was Ed Smith at the time and like the, like the cupboards were bare. There was nothing you know, and um, besides the art supplies, like we raised um, donations and just basic supplies like deodorant. You know, I was talking to peaceful schools and I was talking to some of the teachers and like some of these kids just don't have basic needs, you know, and that's ridiculous. You know, how do you how do you learn and how do you be, um, you know, some that's supposed to be functional like in society and you don't even have your basic needs met, you know, not getting meals or anything like this. So. Um, yeah, the, it needed, and I don't know, it needed to happen. Like, I felt like I needed to put, um, more of a meaning to that show, like have it benefit, you know, like an actual, like, not that art's not like a good cause, but I feel like I need, I could do more with it. I could do more good with it. Um, so I hooked up with Lee from Peaceful Schools and eventually she ended up taking on that show and doing it at, a. Deviant Dance Tribe, which is in Fayetteville, but moving to Manlius now. Um, so hopefully those ladies can continue that um, mission, I guess, the people I sort of transferred it to, because like it, it definitely has, it's been going on for next year, it'll be 10 years. Um, and it has traction and it has a good heart to that show for sure. Yeah, and I want to point out, uh, Jamie's art is always remarkable, but uh, one of my favorite pieces you ever did was you did this beautiful skateboard deck of Steve Buscemi. 
Yeah. Crazy eyes. <laughs> so great. So if you uh if you want to see a different side of Jamie's art, I strongly suggest Googling uh Jamie Santos deck the halls, Steve Buscemi. Um so yeah, it can be uh really self-deprecating. And like I'm a good oil painter, but I like to paint ridiculous things like ridiculous celebrities on skateboards for oil painting. So I did Steve Buscemi, I did Ron Swanson. I think uh, I did Shia LaBeouf because he was a ridiculous turned jerk. <laughs> um, but, you know, he had like all these memes about him, like the just do it one at the time. Um, you said tomorrow, yesterday. It was so it's like comical characters in a really serious medium. I thought that juxtapose was just fitting. <laughs> so I, I have fun with it. I'm going to do another oil painting this year for Deck the Halls. So I don't know who. But um, I don't. Do you have any suggestions? What, what ridiculous celebrity should I do? Oh God, that's dangerous. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna have to think. It'll it'll come to me at some All point right. throughout this go interview. Around, but... I mean, I feel like Peter Lorre. Like you know, if we want to go like really really old school Hollywood. Um, okay. You know, he's just such a such a like classic looking weirdo. Uh, sure. Shelley Duvall. You know, like. Oh, I haven't thought about Shelley Duvall in a while. Yeah. You, you can choose whether you want the shining Shelly Duvall or the Popeye Shelly Duvall. You get all the options. They're both equally creepy. <laughs> yeah, and she's actually maybe more so. And she's uh she's making a new horror movie now. It's like the first film that she's made in a really long time. So you can get like really? modern Shelly Duvall. So awesome. Um well so with all the you know, with all the things you did, you also created the Cathedral Collective. So you can tell us a little bit about what what that was. Um, so like basically I've been connecting with a whole bunch of artists um and like this whole time I've been also I had been working with my colleague um Cayetano Valenzuela he uh yeah he had been tremendous help and influence for this whole thing um so like it, we were basically just rounding up artists and trying to make stuff happen but there was like no name and there was like no entity behind it it was just sort of this like floating thing um we had an idea to call it the hand for a while Kitana had made up this uh weird six-fingered hand i think it was too ominous and too occulty <laughs> maybe i don't know no one really liked it um but so the cathedral collective was more like a especially for me it was more of a housing um to kind of put all these different kinds of artists into um, to make these events happen and um, you know like it, I guess everything needs an entity but it had a name no one really knew what it was but they knew they were part of it and they knew they were like doing things to contribute to it um, and it was always transient it was mostly me and Cayetano but um, it was these other random artists would just sort of pop in, pop out of each event, you know, but we're generally working with the same kind of group of people. So that's how that kind of came to be. Basically, it's not like a established organization, um, but it's sort of like this online entity, you know, like we have a Facebook, we have a Discord, we have an Instagram. Um, that's how it kind of came to be, I guess. And it's cool because it's a it's it's a place for dialogue. It's a place for meetups, which I think is one of the big components is that you guys you do your Java and draws right <laughs> through yeah. that. And it's almost the art is almost secondary. The art is the thing that brings people together and the bringing people together is the part that makes it valuable. Yeah, 
Yeah, it was community. I mean, I guess anything, it's uh, it's trying to create this community of um, people that feel safe in this sort of thing as much as possible. Um, you know, like it's it's getting together, it's making art together, it's, you know, doing these events together. Um, so I, I ended up passing on the organization after 2020 to uh, Amanda of Naughty Print maker and then sherry dunkel from nerd alert art that's their handles online um and i hope i can see them also do that in the future too yeah they're still carrying on with the java draws that'll be the next one is september 24th at salt city awesome uh shout out to salt city market one of the greatest resources we have at <laughs> this time. um so you also uh i want to talk about one more one more thing that you did which i think was really cool uh and you know there was this little thing that happened you might remember it uh it made the news it was called the pandemic uh oh, in, yeah. <laughs> in 2020 um and it's fun we actually you and i had a meeting during that to talk about like you know hey how let's do a java and draw together or whatever which i'm yeah. putting that we're making that happen we'll put it on the calendar okay. <laughs> um but you started may mayhem <laughs> which uh, yeah. I th is one of those one of those initiatives that uh, truly it's it's it, how do I say this when you create a project that makes people reschedule their day based off of what you're doing you know you've created something that that has gotten its hooks into people so can you tell us what <laughs> May Mayhem was May Mayhem also and that was another uh, brainchild of me and Kayatano. um and. Uh, it's it was a sparked thing um we put together like uh this little little thing called may mayhem where uh even if you were social distancing um you could go out and find art and yeah people rescheduled their jobs <laughs> like if they had no job at the time because they weren't essential um you know like they would go out and it was the thing to do in their day is to find this piece of art sort of like hidden anywhere within Syracuse. Um, I feel like if you were an artist involved too, like you really enjoyed doing it because like what else were you supposed to do? There's like not much, but that was another one of those things that definitely kind of like right time, um, right kind of spark, right kind of energy to like, people get like super enthused about it you know um yeah it was, it's really neat we're still I did it this past year um again passed it on um so hopefully it continues but it's ridiculous people like will competitively search for artwork you know like and they'll get frustrated when they don't find it or they can't find it or like we didn't announce in a timely manner <laughs> like it was found already so they're still searching for this thing um, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. So like uh, to put some context into it, basically you guys have a, a network of artists who are ready to make art and donate it to the community. Yeah, and yeah. they, you know, every, it, I don't recall if it was every day or if it's every few days, uh, an artist is essentially highlighted and they go to uh, any area of the city that they feel connected to. And yeah. they hide their artwork and they take kind of like a teasy picture of where it could be and then the community who is i uh, you know i think one of the few good reasons to be addicted to their smartphones are, are staring <laughs> at this thing waiting for this post to drop and they see this little hint of here's a piece of tile on a park bench or here's a specific tree that's kind of unique or here's a body of water or here's a business that's nearby and yep. all of a sudden 
all these art fanatics who need something to do to get out of the house, some reason to find to find hope in the middle of the pandemic are going and searching nooks and crannies for these pieces of art uh, to keep and to take pride in the fact that they found Waldo. They found this piece of art. <laughs> it was um, so proud. It was so fun. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and like people get really creative with it. Um, his artist, uh, Mike Genitazio, he, uh, he hid his, he made a water tower and he hid it up in a water tower so you had to climb the, the water tower to get the thing <laughs> um i hid mine in an alleyway also like a little bit dangerous um so i tried to be more mindful of that but you had to like climb up a back alley into an alleyway to find this thing and i hung it like it was hung in a fine art museum in this gritty alleyway <laughs> And you had to find it. You had to follow these clues we listed on Instagram to find the art. But yeah, it was super, it was fun. It was a really good distraction um, to kind of like get out um, and like get out of like the horribleness, the pandemic. I mean, the pandemic ruined a lot of things for a lot of people. And, um, you know, it was a little like glimmer of hope, I guess, in the day. And also, I think the, th the thing that I just got most excited about was the fact that all these people that I've known in the art scene forever, and they're, maybe they're people I worked with at summer camps or the people I've just always admired their art from a distance, all of a sudden, they're able to, to take ownership of a day and yeah. be able to see how their, their little watercolor is going to truly alter somebody's week, month, year, lifetime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's all art is. Art is... Um painting a flat thing or you know, a sculpture it's it's making this object that shouldn't have value um it shouldn't you know like it's just a thing and then um if you put an emotional attachment to it like all of a sudden like whatever you've done whether it's a scribble or a masterpiece like can mean the world to someone i think that's um that's the theme of art throughout time Awesome. And I think the theme of your your public arts career, whether you would agree or not, is there's an element of education within it. There's an element of all the things that you do, whether it's it's role modeling or or demonstrating that these things are possible, or actually, you know, teaching a class at the Everson Museum about you know, women are art <laughs> and things like that. Um yeah. But one question I had for you, and I uh, I want to be clear that as I ask this question, this is not like a as you're nearing retirement question or anything <laughs> like that, because you're still you're you're still a ball of energy. But one of the things that I think is kind of interesting and is that um, you comment about other cities and going going to these other places where there's there's more people and inevitably more resources and seeing the way in which their art communities are established and exist and uh, are more public than than oftentimes a place like Syracuse, where we're, mm -hmm. you know, we're smack dab in the middle of the state. Um, we're one of the smaller cities. Um, but you're you've put together all these initiatives and um, they take a lot of work. They take a lot of elbow grease. They take a lot of sweat equity. They take a lot of time. And it's mm -hmm. been interesting seeing you get to a place where you've built them to an established mark that you can pass it off to other people. You've re referenced it several times in times in this conversation, but how does it feel to to take a step back and see someone else carry your baby across a different finish line? I mean, so as as an artist, um, that's also kind of the point of art, right? It's to um, and I I done like a class with Alex Gray how they're they're talking about uh, social sculpting. 
And like at, they're using that as a form of art themselves too. So when you create a piece of art, you put, well, at least for me, I want it out of my life and I want it into the world. Some people hold on to it and they, they keep it and they covet it and they hide it away. I think art is meant to be out there and it's meant to be seen. So like these shows in retrospect, they were also an art piece for me. They were a way to, for better or worse, energize a community to do more art. You know, whether you were part of the show or if you weren't part of the show, it sparked an energy in people that made people want to do things. And seeing that develop, um, you know, and like I've not always an influence for for every part of it, but like seeing the art scene in Syracuse be better now than I think it ever has been, you know, because there's the the gear factory, there's anything at the Delavant Center, there's like all these artists doing their own things, all these craft shows, wildflowers, um, lunar arts events, like the art mart's still around. Um, the salt market was around for a bit. Like seeing that blossom and be a thing, like that's great. Like that's cool. Like that's um, that was the point of all of it, honestly. <laughs> Did you know that was the point of all of it when you started these things decades ago? When you do something, like I said, when you do something, you spark that. Like, you know, like people get enthused about stuff. Um or they get unhappy that they weren't included and they, they do their own thing. And like, I saw both of those things happen throughout the whole eight years of doing the, you know, the civic art stuff. So, awesome. Yeah. So one of the narratives, and I'm sure like, I, I don't hear it as often because uh, I think be we have these resources in this town is that, uh, you know, when I was getting ready to go to college or I'd gotten back, I was always somebody who just like, I was in the minority. I wanted to move back to Syracuse. Like the, the majority of my peers were so excited to like go and live in Portland or Arizona or, you know, uh, Florida or overseas or whatever. And for me, I just always saw this, I don't know, this hope for the city and this energy that I couldn't find elsewhere. And I traveled a lot of places and could never quite find the spirit um, of Syracuse elsewhere. And I'd hear all these narratives where it's like, ah, oh, Syracuse has nothing to offer. Um, so the question I have for you uh, is that you obviously were willing to put your work out there and you were willing to put your time into this for people who are listening to this, who are uh, in other cities. And I can confidently say we have an international audience as I've looked at our, you know, diagnostics this morning. Um, what type of guidance or what type of encouragement would you give to people who are in small towns or they're in big cities and they don't know how to make a mark or they don't know how to put their art into places? What would you tell them to do? Um, well, so I'll, I'll say that, um, I feel like the culture of the United States is changing anyway. And where I used to hear people like talk badly about Syracuse, like now people are moving here and talking positively about Syracuse for so many reasons, you know? Um, and I had never heard that before, <laughs> you know, my whole childhood, like you said, people talk down in it, but I think that, um, when you are trying to make an impact in your community, like do it with heart. You're going to spend a lot of time. Like I spent money out of pocket to do it, um, but it will 
it will pay off um, for the community and it'll pay off emotionally for yourself. Um, you know, have heart, like do it for the right reasons, like do it for the benefit of other people, um, you know, do it for charity, do it for schools, like um, do it to enrich your community. You know, if you're doing it just straight for ego, like you're going to get a different vibe from like what you're putting out there. You know, you should do it. I don't want to say selflessly, but you should try if you can. <laughs> and it's always worth it. Even if you fail, it's worth it because then you learned a way that didn't work. I had uh, several shows that are heavily publicized or known about that, um, especially within Syracuse, like that didn't do great, but they were still worth it because like you figure out what doesn't work. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, man, I want to go like bench press a statue right now. I'm like ready for this. <laughs> Hey, well, you know, if you're doing art stuff, you probably will. No one talks about that part of it is like the lifting and the transporting of art. Unless you're taking museum studies, like no one will tell you that that is also a thing. I think that's true with like, as I sit there and I evaluate like the passions that I'm into when it's like, oh, music and oh, pinball machines and like, oh, art supplies and whatever. I'm always like, why did I not choose to get into stamp collecting? <laughs> I mean, how heavy is a pinball machine? That's going to be substantial, right? Uh, 250 to 350 pounds. Yeah, on the there game. you go. Yeah. But uh, it keeps us young and in shape, right? That's why we both in this conversation have not changed one iota from when we were 18. We're both still just youthful looking, oh, beautiful absolutely. people. Absolutely. Totally. Definitely not aging at all. <laughs> um, I want to, I really appreciate uh, you sort of morphing around into, into this conversation what what are you interested in covering is there anything in this in this chat that you feel like we haven't put out there yet i mean you know i'm just on your show <laughs> just answering questions <laughs> i don't know i'm trying to put it out there in the past like um i am i'm happy that i was able to pass on these shows and this organization to like um you know like women honestly I feel like so much of the art world is like very male dominated. So I was happy to pass on these successful things like to, um, to women who I think can carry it on. So I think that's um, going to be really cool. I mean, as far as myself, like, you know, I'm trying to, I'm like weaning myself away from like some of this, these pro projects I had in the past, but um, I'm definitely looking forward to the future and gathering some new ideas and, you know, figuring out some other things. I got some more, more tricks on my sleeve. <laughs> yeah. So Jamie's smile just indicated that there's some like a tidal wave of awesome coming our way. Yeah, uh, oh, let's say that. I'll ruin it. <laughs> okay. There's nothing interesting happening. You heard it here first <laughs> on Meditations with Ryan Slomack. I, okay. So, Jamie, you know, uh, we talked about so many cool things. So, uh, you know, May Mayhem, people can can keep tabs on uh, the Cathedral Collective, which you've passed off is, is something where people can find that on Instagram or Facebook. If people are interested in you and your work, where where's the best place to find you? Uh, also, Instagram. Instagram is the best place to find me. It's Jamie Santos Artworks. I also go by Trash Pumpkin. <laughs> so you can find me in that um three of swords you know it's a great way to find uh myself christiana ren and Brittany, who's our apprentice right now 
Um, yeah, if you want to keep track of things I'm doing, those are all the public places to do it. I'm on Facebook, kind of. Might do threads, trying to do TikTok, feeling old doing TikTok. <laughs> so social awesome. media. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to completely put you on the spot real quick, uh, okay. which is the one thing we haven't talked about is that you love dad jokes. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I do love it. <laughs> do you have any uh, any any dad jokes that we think we need to hear before we move on? Um. Well, okay. There's this, uh, there's a couple. How do you know something's a dad joke? I don't know, Jamie. How do you know something's a dad because joke? Because it's a parent. <laughs> what? Well, uh, did you hear that? I just left room for laughter. You oh, could hear. Yeah. You could hear the the giggles yeah. happening with every download. Do you hear the one about the coffee? I don't think I did hear the one about the coffee. Got mugged. <laughs> 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 so they're so dumb i love them that's why you love a dad joke you know they're stupid <laughs> yeah i love the i stole this one from you which is i'm reading a book about anti-gravity it's impossible to put down <laughs> uh, you know i rode my bike today but it was too tired <laughs> well jb it sounds like we're gonna have to have you back on the show just to do some stand-up comedy uh, you know, I won't quit my day job. <laughs> Sweet. Well, Jamie, I, uh, I, I, the last thing I want to leave this with is that, um, you know, I, I appreciate you talk about the idea that all your initiatives, uh, they need to come from a place of heart. And one of the things that I always think is really awesome is, you know, you, you live in a place for a long time and you meet a lot of people and you find the ways that your web interconnects with other webs. Um, and the thing that I just find so cool about you is that as I'm looking at all the people who we are sort of interconnected with, they're not people from just the tattoo world. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll say this, that, you know, we've been having an hour long conversation about tattooing. And, um, I know. And I don't have a single tattoo, but I appreciate every single thing that you do because it it I, it really brings it out out. But I I just love the fact that like so many people feel that they need to lock themselves into a niche or that the niche they're in has to be that. And I just have always appreciated the way that you've you've taken art. Uh, you've never thought about yourself inherently as like, I am just a tattoo artist. I am an artist and here are all the different things that tattooing can do. And whether it's the firemen that I know or the teachers that I know um, or the local artists that I know, um, your art has impacted all these people. And it's been just such a joy to see that happen over the years. Uh, and I, you know, I know we just joked that like nothing interesting is happening, but I, mm -hmm. I can't tell you every time you bring a new initiative to the forefront, no matter how grandiose or how minuscule, it's just always a joy. And I, I really appreciate the way you, you impact all of us. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I, you know, like I said, I'm just, a, I'm just a little piece, you know, like there behind me, there have been people to, um, you know, influence and help me um, the whole time, you know, it's not, it's not just me. I feel like it's a, it's a web, you know, like it's a, it's a web of people who help each other and work with each other to make bigger things happen. Um, when you're like doing anything, any sort of organizers, usually like a couple people heading it up, but it's a group effort. You know, every artist that ever participated in anything or will continue to, you know, participate in anything like that is all part of it. You know, everyone 
has an equal part in like getting this stuff get done without other people liking what had been happening and like artists participating like none of it would have been able to happen at all we're all we're all just a minuscule part of the puzzle right (laughs) yep (laughs) awesome well jamie thanks so much for coming this has been a joy all right thank you I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation just half as much as I enjoyed having it. Listening to it again and editing it for this podcast, I just keep finding myself elated and overjoyed and just taking significant pride in what Syracuse has to offer. And for those of you who are listening from outside the city, I hope that you're able to take some of her lessons and apply it to your own communities because I think that as we're looking at her initiatives 10 years down the road, the the effect and the impact can be seen pretty clearly around the streets, in our coffee shops, in our communities, and the way people interact with one another. And that is a tremendous accomplishment. If you like hearing about what Jamie has been doing, please go through and look look her up on Instagram or online. Check out Three of Swords Tattoo. Look at her other tattoo artists. There's a lot of really cool things going on there. Equally, if you like what you heard, please consider checking out a previous episode. On episode one, I talk with Ben T. Matchstick and Pete Talbot, the creators of the Pinbox 3000, which is a cardboard stem project that's taking the world by storm. They talk about inventing with cardboard, doing localized manufacturing, and my favorite, their extensive history in the theater world and the puppetry world. I also talk with Nick Parisi in episode two about Rod Serling. If that name rings a bell, it's because he's the creator of The Twilight Zone. And Nick Parisi is the president of the Rod Serling Memorial Foundation. We talk about Rod Serling's impact creating the Twilight Zone, his impact on the golden age of television, and his impact on central New York uh, in Binghamton and in Syracuse. Lastly, in episode three, I talk with Dave Foreman, who is a food blogger and the host of the TV show Played at Pittsburgh. We talk about food as a hobby. We talk about food as a a way of bringing people together and just inherently the way food affects us and impacts us in ways that we may not understand. Looking forward, though, on September 27th, two weeks from now, I'm going to be interviewing Bob the Builder. You may know him from such TV shows as Bob the Builder may seem like I'm being facetious, but I'm actually being quite honest. I'm interviewing Mark Silk, who was the voice of Bob the Builder in the U.S. for about 10 years. He also has been featured as a voice actor in Star Wars Episode One and the movie's Chicken Run. You can find him in the video game world in uh, the video game's Two Point Hospital, Two Point Campus. He also is involved in pinball machines, doing voices for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles pinball machine from Stern Pinball. It's a joy to chat with Mark. We're going to talk about his experience understanding the different voice technologies, discovering his talent for voice acting, and we're going to focus a lot on his family dynamic and the way in which his family and their own learning opportunities influenced and encouraged him. So if you're interested and if you like what you're hearing, please consider subscribing to the show so that the Mark Silk episode will come straight to you. Leave a review if you like it. And then try to find me on social media. You can find Ryan Slomek, the world of Ryan Slomek more specifically, on Instagram and Facebook, and that is at Syracuse Pinheads. Thanks so much for listening. Please make space for conversation. You just might learn something. Have a great day.